I want you to notice in first, chapter 1, verse 1, the Apostle Peter starts by directing primarily this epistle to those Christians, partly Jewish believers, who were scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. As we know and read the scriptures, many of the Jewish believers, Christians, were uh, kind of uh, persecuted out, if you will, to Gentile nations, and now being Christians uh, in this world, even amongst the Gentiles, those that do not know God, so to speak, uh, are instructed on how to live as Christians, even as Jewish Christians. But it's absolutely applicable to us as Gentiles, Christians, uh, because there's no difference. Paul makes that uh, fact in Galatians between Jew and Gentile. In Christ, there's no difference. So let's read from verses 9 to 11. Notice what the Bible says there. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, which in time past were not a people, but now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. It says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your souls. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, Lord God, we come before you and thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy and forgiveness upon our lives. We thank you, Father, for the eternal blessings and spiritual blessings that you give us uh, in heavenly places. In Christ our Lord, we thank you, Lord, that the blessings that we have are not temporal but eternal. We ask and pray, Lord, that you would have your hand upon us, each and every single one of us, that you'd minister to us effectively this morning, that would understand what it means to be a Christian living in the world today. So, Lord, I ask and pray that you'd help us to understand the scriptures, help me to know, help your people give sense of the word that they may know and understand how to live in this dark world that you have caught us out from. In Jesus' name, amen. Notice the statement Peter uses in verse 11 to describe believers, those who have trusted Jesus Christ. He references or refers to them as strangers and pilgrims. Strangers and pilgrims. The word strangers means a foreigner or one who lives in a foreign place. They do not have, uh, if you will, residency or citizenship. They're like sojourners or sojourning through one place to get to another place. And so it is with these strangers that he calls Christians or believers, they're like, he likens them that strangers that are just going through this earth to their eternal destination. The world pilgrim is similar. A pilgrim is one who travels from far, far country and he resides in a place that is foreign to him. And he's there temporarily. So the world pilgrim is similar. In other words, both strangers and pilgrims live in a certain place for a while, but do not in have the intent to stay. They are just passing through. And so what Peter's trying to say here, or alluding to, is that as Christians living in the world today, we're just passing through. This world is not our home. We're not here to stay. We're, we're strangers and pilgrims. We're, we're not citizens, uh, citizens, if you will, of this world, not in a spiritual sense. Maybe physically, but not spiritually. This world is not our home. This world is not the kingdom in which we live in that is eternal. 
We are foreigners. We're strangers. We're travelers. We're heading to our eternal home. We are going through this earth uh, looking upward. And so the main reason we're called strangers and pilgrims is because of the person who we follow. It's because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. Unto you therefore which believe he is what? Precious. But unto them which, he, uh, which be disobedient. So there's a contrast between the believers and non-believers. Those uh, people that are obedient, that have obeyed the gospel, come to Christ. And those that are not believers. People who are godly, people who are worldly. People who are uh, heaven bound and people who are earth bound. And so people who love the Lord and people who don't love the Lord. So the, uh, people who are uh, caught out of darkness and people who are still in darkness. Another reason why we're called strangers and pilgrims is because the way the world treats Christians. Have a look at verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as what? Evildoers. And you know, when you live as a Christian in its true sense, the world will look at you as, as if you're doing something evil or wicked or wrong. <clears throat> the majority of the world rejects Jesus Christ. They call good evil and evil good. It's warped. And because true Christians are hated in the world, therefore we are made... Uh, to feel like we are strangers and pilgrims. We don't belong here. And, 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 and if you're living comfortably, if you're living in this world comfortably and, and living like the world and uh, not like a Christian, then you won't feel like you're a stranger or a pilgrim because you blend in. But Christians that are true, truly living the Christian life or endeavour to live the Christian life uh, feel like they don't belong here. So therefore we're strangers and we're pilgrims to this world. Notice what Jesus says in John 15. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of this world, but I have chosen, look at, look at this, I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I have said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Now, why are Christians persecuted by the world? Have a look at verse 21. But all these things which they do unto you, look at this, for my name's sake, because they, not, not, they know not him that what? Sent me. So they do it because of Jesus Christ, the person that you follow, and because they really don't know the Father. They don't know God. Today, I'd like to preach on how to live as passing pilgrims in an ungodly, dark world. And there is a way in which we are supposed to be, behave in the world in which we're passing through. Point out three things. The character of a passing pilgrim, the calling of a passing pilgrim, and then the commandment of a passing pilgrim. I'm just going to touch on the first here this morning, and the next two we'll look at in the future. So look at, look at the first, the character of the passing pilgrim, verse 9. He says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. So the Apostle Peter gives four amazing descriptions of what a believer is or a passing pilgrim is. It is absolutely descriptive of a person that has trusted Jesus Christ as their personal saviour. It describes what kind of people we are to God and the precious privileges that we have as the people of God. Now, if you have not worked it out yet, we are the most blessed people on this planet <laughs> as Christians. Some Christians don't know it yet, but we are. We are the most blessed people. Why? Because we have precious promises. We have a precious faith and we have a precious saviour. 
we, we just have to know and understand what when Peter writes first, second to Peter to his uh, audience, he's trying to let them know what we have in Christ and it is most precious. And the first one that he begins here, he says, you are a chosen generation. A chosen generation. So this uh, has to do, being a chosen generation, with God's favour upon believers. God's favour or grace. He has chosen us. This means that Christians who are uh, you know, simply believers are God's chosen people. We are God's chosen people. Anyone that has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ is God's chosen people, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. A Christians who know and understand in verse 7 that he is precious. Because the world, they don't understand this. They don't look at Christ to be precious. As a matter of fact, the opposite is true to them. Christ to them is despicable. Christ to them is uh, a nuisance. Christ to them is uh, everything but precious. But to us who have believed, we, the chosen generation, those that have accepted Christ as our Saviour, uh, He is precious. And this is the chosen generation. Whether they be Jew or Gentile in Christ, we are God's chosen, chosen people. Uh, look at Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with what? Spiritual blessings in where? In heavenly places, in Christ. Look at this. According as he has chosen us in who? Are you with me? Chosen us in who? In him before the foundation of the world. So you've got to understand, this chosen generation is people that have believed on Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One. Now we have to understand that Israel as a nation was called God's chosen people. They were specifically called God's chosen people. It was through the nation of Israel that God would reveal himself. He would reveal uh, his strong uh, hand, his powerful strong hand amongst Gentile nations. It was through this nation Israel that God would reveal his holiness, his expectations, his decrees, his plan and purposes. This chosen nation that God chose began when God called Abraham out of his country to go to a country that was unknown to him to possess a land which God promised to those who believe or those that ha would have faith. Those who would believe will enter into his rest. Genesis 12 verse 1, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of the country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land I will show thee. Now this was the physical land of Canaan which typified or pictured, listen, eternal blessings. But it wasn't the real genuine place in which God would have for a spiritual people. It was a picture, an earthly picture of eternal blessings and I believe Hebrews 11 uh, will confirm that in verse 8, by faith Abraham when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out not knowing whether he went, look at verse 9, by faith he what? Sojourned, by faith he sojourned in a land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac, Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Look at verse 10. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builders and maker is who? God. Second of all, God chose this nation. Uh, when he called Abraham, it was from him that God would make a great nation. So Israel started with Abraham as a great nation. God promised that to him in verse 2. And he says, I will make of thee a great nation. That meaning Abraham. This is why he is called the father of faith. He says, and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. Three, God promised Abraham to bless 
those that blessed him, in other words, uh, those that received Abraham uh, were partakers of the promise. And verse 3, he says, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curse thee. And God's promised Abraham that he would be a father of many nations. So in other words, not only to the Jews, but his extended blessings will be reaching all the way to the Gentiles. Look at verse, look at, uh, verse 3. I will bless them that bless thee, I will curse thee that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Look at Genesis 17 verse 4. For as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of what? Many nations. And so the promise made to Abraham was pointing forward to the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be the descendant of Abraham, who all the promises will be fulfilled. The promises to Abraham will be, feel, be fulfilled in Christ. Genesis 22 verse 18, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. And look at Galatians chapter 3 verse 16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to his seed, as of many, but as one, and to thy seed, which is who? Christ. So we must understand that no one could ever enter in the covenant made with Abraham, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, without faith, not even Abraham. See, Abraham believed God. When God gave Abraham the covenant or the promises uh, given to him, he believed God. It says it very specifically, Genesis 15, verse 6, and he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him as for what? righteousness and I think Galatians gives a little bit more light in what I'm trying to say here Galatians chapter 3 verse 6 even as Abraham believed God it was accounted to him for righteousness know ye therefore that they which are of what faith the same are the children of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God will justify the who the heathen through how faith preached before the gospel under Abraham saying in thee shall all nations be blessed so then they which be of faith are blessed with who? Faithful Abraham. And so to enter in those covenants made to Israel through Abraham, it has to be by faith in Jesus Christ. We are a chosen generation because we have faith in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.6, he says this, Wherefore also it is uh, contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him should not be what? Confounded. That word means not to be ashamed, dishonored, or disgraced. So anybody that believes the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, who is a stumbling, stumbling block to the unbelieving Jews, uh, are simply blessed and are partakers of, of the promises given to Abraham in Christ. And therefore we are called a chosen generation. Uh, even Israel, who was chosen by God, had to repent and believe. Did you know that? Uh, God uh, and he, uh, simply had his plan and purposes uh, through the Messiah to come to redeem them once and for all. They too had to repent and believe on their Redeemer. You know what John the Baptist said this, Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourselves, look at this, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So what's he trying to say? Well, you've got to understand one thing, that not all Israel was Israel. Even though they were chosen, they had to believe. Even though they were chosen, they had to uh, believe on the Lord and, and come to the Lord by faith. 
It was always by faith. Old Testament, New Testament. It was accredited to Abraham by faith that he, uh, uh, that he would believe God and to him it was given uh, righteousness. And so we have to understand faith or repentance, repentance to come uh, to, to God through Jesus Christ is to every single person. It doesn't matter, even if you were brought up in a Christian home. Even a Christian brought up in a Christian home. You're not chosen uh, a generation until you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, being partakers of the blessing in which Abraham was, uh, simply uh, God gave to Abraham. So you can't say, because I was brought up in a Christian home, well, that's it, I'm part of the chosen. No, you too have to believe. You too have to exercise personal faith in God's promises. And so, by the way, God choosing us in Christ is an extension of his amazing love. That's what choosing is all about, his favor upon us. God chose us before we ever chose him. Amen. God had a plan and, 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 and of salvation, a redemptive plan of salvation, way before the world began, and that would be in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, there was not anything special regarding even Israel when God chose them. And it says it very clearly in, in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number or, or, or than any people. Or were you the f fewest of all people? So in other words, God didn't choose you because you, you, know, you had a lot of uh, uh, you know, uh, people that made up the nation. Or, or he didn't even choose you because you, know, you were fewer people. Why did God choose this nation? Verse 8, but because the Lord loved you and because he would... Keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers. Have the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you out of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So God kept his word and proved his love when he delivered him out of bondage, when he uh, saw him through the wilderness all the way to the land of promise. God loved them. Listen, by the way, it's unconditional. What that means? That means if it wasn't unconditional, none of us will ever stand a chance of being redeemed. Long time ago in the wilderness, God would have wiped them out, every single one of them. But because God made a promise, God promised, and through that promise, you and I have a chance to believe and be redeemed. If, God, if it wasn't an unconditional promise, none of us will have any mercy or grace. So this uh, promise or this covenant was given because God loved you, God loved me, God loved Israel, God loved the Gentiles. And anyone can be uh, a recipient of this promise given to Abraham through faith. And you know what, my friend? Faith loves God. Have a look at the next verse. He says, because, verse 8, the Lord had loved you, and because the Lord will keep his oath, which he had sworn on your fathers, have the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand? Oh, sorry, the next verse, verse 9. Know ye therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God which keepeth, what? Covenant and mercy with who? With them that love him and keep his commandments to a what? A thousand generations. That's almost like eternity. God's extended love and covenant and promises are to all, to those that love him, fear him and that's an expression of faith and Abraham is the benchmark of how it looks like God uses Abraham as that ben benchmark not only to the Jew you read the scriptures also to the Gentiles to be a chosen generation is to uh, believe 
God's unconditional covenant, which is extended to all those that love him and believe on him by faith. I want you to see Hebrews chapter 3. Turn there in your Bibles, please. Hebrews chapter 3, and look at verse 12. Leave your finger in 1 Peter. We'll come back later on. But have a look at Hebrews chapter 3. A couple of books back. And look at verse 12. He says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you and uh, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of what? Unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another, exhort one another, he says here, how often? Daily. While he is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the day of propagation. For some, when they, they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. Okay, so what's he saying? So not, there were people that came out of Egypt that, that provoked the Lord, but not all. There was a remnant amongst Israel that believed, and we have to understand that. But as a nation, he was dealing with them. But there were always a few people within that nation that God would simply see that had faith in him. But have a look at verse 17. But with whom was he grieved for 40 years? Was it not with them that had what? Sinned? Whose carcass fell in the wilderness? And to whom swore he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not so we so we see that they could not enter in because of what unbelief look at chapter 4 4 verse 1 and 2 it says let us therefore fear lest the promise be left us of for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto who them but the word preached did not profit who them not being mixed with faith in them that what Okay, so there it is. Who's the chosen generation? Those that believe. There are some, though amongst Israel, that we would say a chosen nation at that particular time, but they did not believe. And I will submit, you, I will submit to you today, there are quote-unquote Christians, Gentiles even, today, that say that they're believers, but they're not part of a chosen generation, because they do not exhibit faith in Jesus Christ. Who's the chosen generation? Anyone that believes he's precious. Anyone that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall not be confounded, not be ashamed. But God will confess them before the mighty angels because they have confessed him and follow him. This is what God is looking at. This is what God sees. Second of all, uh, the next characteristic mentioned has to do with our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He says you are a royal priesthood. This means that every Christian, every believer is a spiritual priest before God. In the Old Testament, God gave the sons of Aaron and then the tribes of Levi the privilege of being priests. The priest was one that uh, simply had the privilege to enter into the presence of 
uh, of God and, uh, and actually sacrifice, uh, physical sacrifices via the tabernacle and the temple. Uh, God gave the priests the responsibility to offer these sacrifices on behalf of the people. But in the New Testament, God gives this privilege to every believer, every believer in Christ. In the Old Testament time, God's people had selected priesthood, but today the priesthood of the believer is the church. Every believer in Christ has the honour of coming to God through Jesus Christ. This is a royal priesthood. Look at 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. He says this, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up what? Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by who? Jesus Christ. So believers in Christ are like spiritual living bricks that make up the house of God, the temple of God. See, Old Testament also had a temple for God's people, but we are the temple of God. We are the spiritual priest, if you, if you will, and every one of us can come directly to God by faith to offer up sacrifices, not these physical sacrifices, but spiritual sacrifices. Let me give you a couple. Go to Hebrews 13. Let me give you a couple of what kind of sacrifices we are to offer. And look at verse 15 to 16. He says, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifices of what? Praise to God. How often? Continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Look at the second one. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices God is what? Well pleased. So the first is directed to God and the second is directed to man. One has to do with praise to God, having a grateful heart, and the other has to do with our possessions, having a giving hand. See these sacrifices, one has to do with worship, one has to do with works, all for the glory of God, given in Jesus Christ. But notice how he says a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood. I believe uh, he uses this uh, royal priesthood because it's a wonderful thing that every single one of us has come through our high priest, Jesus Christ. Royal, royalty. In Christ we are, according to John, uh, kings and priests under God. Royalty. I mean, it is the greatest privilege you and I ever have because of our high priest, Jesus Christ. You know, as Christians, we have direct access to God. Uh, we can come to God through Jesus Christ. This means that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. As growing up as a Catholic, I struggled. And you say, why did you struggle? Because I wanted God. I, I desired to have a relationship with God. But man, through the Catholic system, got in the way. See, the, the, the Catholic system, which is simply branded as Christianity, which is not true Christianity, mixes Old Testament and New Testament together. And so there are some priests in the Catholic system that deem themselves to be, uh, you know, uh, priests like that of the Old Testament. And so it is through them that you can have your sins forgiven. I have to go through a confession box and tell my sins to the priest and ask for his forgiveness and he would intercede to God on my behalf. And it was terrible because it was bondage. There's only one person that has the authority to forgive sin on earth and it was Jesus Christ. No one has the authority to forgive sin but Jesus Christ. He's our high priest. And not only this, but they said you can go through the saints and go through Mary. But Jesus is the only way to God. He's the access that we have. We can go to both to Jews and to Gentiles. 
Hebrews 4:14 4, says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Not only we have direct access and we are royal priesthood, but second of all, we have divine access to God. You know, Jesus is not earthly priest, but he's a heavenly priest. You know, the earthly priests, they, one, of, one died after another. The high priest, they would die, but Jesus died and he rose again. He's eternal and he lives in glory forever, interceding on our behalf. And Hebrews 7, turn there with me. Hebrews 7, look at verse 22. I want you to see this. Hebrews 7, verse 22, but the Bible says, by so much was Jesus made surely of a better testament. And they truly were many priests. Why? Because they were not suffered to continue by reason of what? Death. They would die. They would die. But Jesus, he died and he rose again and conquered death. He's our high priest forever interceding in heaven on our behalf. He, he has an eternal priesthood. It goes on. Have a look at verse uh, 24. But this man, because he continueth forever, had an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able to save, also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to maketh intercession for them. For such a high priest became us. Look at this. I've been pondering upon this. Who is holy? He became a man. And who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. He became a man to die for men who needeth not daily as the high priest to offer up sacrifice for their own sins and then for the people's. For this he died once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath or promise which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forever. While there was a physical priesthood uh, 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 governed after Aaron, there was one that was always eternal, governed after the priesthood of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a type of Christ or Christophany during that time. We don't know much about him, but he would resemble Christ who is our eternal priest, our high priest. Have a look at chapter 10 of Hebrews. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which, look at this, can never take away sins. Why? Because they were temporarily. They were foreshadows of things that would come and, and, and point to the only one that can take away the sin of the world. And look at uh, verse 12. But this man, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifices for sin, forever sat down at the right hand of God, divine high priest. Look at chapter uh, 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness of the, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he had consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. You understand why it's a royal priesthood? 
because we have a king of kings that is sovereign and sits forever eternally interceding on our behalf and we have direct access to our divine high priest to god thirdly the description mentioned has to do with our citizenship in heaven so we are not only a chosen people a royal priesthood but we are called a holy nation have a look we are citizens of a holy nation which specifically means this that we are sanctified and separated from the world unto god we are not simply wanting to live like the world we're in the world as jesus says but we're not of the world we're not here to stay this is not our home the world is far from being holy we god calls us to be holy we are in the world but are not but not of it we completely belong to god in christ we should no longer live like the world lives we are a holy nation but rather we should live like christ i want you to go to ephesians 2 have a look ephesians 2 i want you to see this look at verse 1 in ephesians 2 he says and you have he quickened and and look at and you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins wherein look at this time past he walked according to the course of this what world you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of her disobedience among also we are uh, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath even as others but god who is rich in mercy for this great love wherewith he had loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with christ by grace are you saved and look at this and raised up together and made to sit together in where and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 19. Now therefore ye are no longer what? You are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. Amen. You know what he's saying? You were once strangers and pilgrims away from God's uh, you know, uh, heavenly uh, you know, family. You weren't a holy nation, but now you are. Now you are partakers of the promises given to Abraham. The middle wall of partition has been broken, and now Jews and Gentiles can share together in this holy nation separated under God through Jesus Christ. But before we weren't that people, we were people of darkness. We were fulfilling the lust of the flesh, living in this world living it up so to speak we weren't living with an eternal purpose we're living just like anyone else here to belong to christ is to be part of his kingdom and his kingdom is not of this world look what he said to pilate in john 18 jesus answered he said my kingdom is not of this world he said if my kingdom were of this world then my servants will what will fight that's why you have to put your sword away amen Put your sword away you know we endure persecution and we don't fight back because this world is not our home we're passing through we're not here to stay you know one day jesus will come back again 
And he's going to execute judgment and all his mighty uh, angels and his saints, thousands of them, will be behind him. But not now. Why? Because his kingdom hasn't come yet. This, this kingdom, this world, this is not... A, it, it, the reason why uh, simply he said this is because Jesus was passing through. This world wasn't his home. And so, because we follow him, this world is not our home. We are a holy nation. He says this, Then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from thence. As passing pilgrims, we do not belong to this world because we are separated to God's word. John 17, I have given them thy word. Jesus is talking to God the Father and the world have hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from what? Evil. That they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We are a holy nation because of the word in which we follow and believe. This is a sacred book. It's holy. It's separate from all other books. Amen? And this is why we're hated. Because they hate him and they hate his word. And they do not believe on him because they hate him and they hate his word and therefore they hate the Father who has sent him. But we, as believers, a holy nation, love him and follow him and want to do his word. This is a holy nation. We're separate from the world. We do not want to be characterized with the world. We want to be characterized as Christ followers, Christians. As passing pilgrims, we do not belong to this world because God is our heavenly Father. In Christ Jesus. John says this, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. In 1 John 3, 1, That we should be called the children of God, or the sons of God. Look at this. Therefore the world knoweth not us. Why? Because it knew him not. You're misunderstood. You're hated. People don't know you because they don't know him. Once they know him through Jesus Christ, they begin to be part of this holy nation, and then you can have fellowship with the saints. And it's, by the way, should be. Sweet fellowship, amen? It should be. As passing pilgrims, we belong to Christ. We are heavenly citizens of his, and we are holy, uh, holy nations, which is eternal. Philippians 3.20, for our conversation is in heaven. Our conversation, our manner of life is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want God's will to be done. Our, our life is this, as a holy people and a holy nation, to do God's will on earth. Our conversation is in heaven, not on the earth. From whence also we look for a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3 verse 1, he says, If ye have been risen with Christ, if ye have been risen with Christ, set your affection on things where? Above which Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Uh, 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 seek those things which are above, which Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. He says, set your affection on things above, not on the things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid in Christ, in who? God. From the very beginning, the Apostle Peter writes that we ought to be holy like God is holy. He says this in 1 Peter 1, as obedient children. Brethren, if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're no longer disobedient children. Well, I hope not. Obedient children. And you know when the obedience starts? 
by believing the gospel. Because God will condemn those that obey not the gospel. That simply means they haven't believed on their son. But you have. Well, if you have, you're obedient children. You're a holy nation. You're not disobedient. You're not the people of the world. You're not the seed of the first Adam anymore. You want to be the seed of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. And, and by the way, Peter says this in his epistle. And we ought to live like heavenly people. We ought to live like saved people. We ought to live like holy people. Be ye holy, for I am holy. We're striving to be like God. You know, God is holy. He's not being. We are being. We are striving to be obedient in every area of our life, being what we are in Christ, holy. We are sanctified in our position, but practically God wants us to be holy and live as holy people. And he says that, in, he says, in, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the formal lusts in your ignorance, but as he which have called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of what? Conversation. Look what he says to the Corinthians, Paul the Apostle. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath light with Bilal? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will uh, dwell in them, and I will walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean uh, thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you. You shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. To the Gentile people. We are called a holy nation, but we ought to walk as holy people. Fourthly, he describes uh, the passing pilgrim uh, as a peculiar people. This has to do with the price that he paid to purchase us. We are his purchased possession. Peculiar, different. We're different from the world. And he's purchased us by his son's blood. We are God's own, listen, special people. Like I said, we... we, we, we <laughs> We have it best. Do you understand what we have in Christ? We are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We are royalty. We are, the, we are kingdom kids, children of God, special people of God. First uh, Peter 1 says, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received from the tradition of your fathers, but how? But with the precious blood of Christ, as a, without lamb, with, with, uh, sorry, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Listen, we weren't uh, purchased by silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. You know why God puts so much value on you? Because of what Christ did and what he went through and what he paid. And that if you come to Christ, you are simply covered by his blood. And his blood is a propitiation that satisfies God. And therefore, you are, you are his because of him. Because of Christ, you belong to Jesus. You belong to God. That's special. That's peculiar. And it's because of what Christ did. What Jesus did on that cross. And how he suffered. 
and, and, and what he did to purchase our redemption. It cost a lot. Suffering. Pain. Now, listen. Listen to me very carefully. It was precious, but it was expensive. And you know what? People don't know the value of what they have in Christ. Therefore, they don't understand their relationship with God. And that impacts the way they live. You say, why do you have a bunch of professing Christians not living holy? Because they don't know what they have in Christ. What, you know why we're going to break bread? So we can remember what we have in Christ. And remember what he has done for us. And what kind of people that we are to him. And how we should live. We are, you know, we are, as Paul says, we are bought with a price. He says it to uh, you know, uh, the Corinthians. We are not our own. He says in Romans 14, verse 8, Paul says, whether we live, we live under the Lord. And whether we die, we die under the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Can I just say, even in death, we are precious to God. He says in the psalmist, uh, Psalm 116, verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is what? Not only who we are in Christ, but even when we die, we are precious in God's sight. Now think about that. Why is our death not wailing and mourning and God looks at us as precious? Well, I believe he, he had a little bit of what Paul felt. Well, I, Paul felt the way he, God felt is because he got it from the Lord. For me to live is Christ and die is gain to be with Christ is far better. For, for Paul realized that if I be with God, it's far better. Can I ask you a question? Why are we so earthbound? Why is the Christian so, you know, gravitating to this life and their life here on earth and not willing to live for Christ and die for Christ? Because they don't understand what they have in Christ when they get to heaven. And God is waiting, if you will, to receive you. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, uh, you know, to, to have a comforted heart. He says in John 14, 3, he says, let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God, also believe in me. For in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. He says, I go and prepare a place for you. He says, when I come again, I will receive you unto myself. Look at this. And where I am, there you may be also. You know, when Jesus returns, he's returning for you. Yes, he's going to return to destroy you. He's returning for you. He's returning to receive you. Can I just say this? Are you anticipating the coming of Christ? Are you longing for his appearing? Oh, let me say this. Are you loving his appearing? Like, you know, do you live life in such a way where you just can't wait for the Lord to come? And while you wait, you occupy and you know your position, you're a passing pilgrim and you're occupied till he comes. But are you longing for that? Because this is what a peculiar person is. He knows what he has in Christ. You know what Paul says to Titus, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation and all uh, have appeared unto all men, teaching us to deny all ungodliness, worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ, with this, who gave himself for us. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a what? A peculiar people, zealous unto 
Good works. Okay, that leads us to the next point, which I'm not going to preach today. I thought to make it a three-part sermon because I thought I'm never going to get through this. I'm not going to rush, rush each, each point. But listen, we have purchased possessions of God for a purpose. We are these four characteristics that God has just simply explained through Peter for a purpose. What's that purpose? Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Look at this. But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, peculiar people. What for? What for? That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. So what's the purpose of passing pilgrims? How are we supposed to live? And uh, in the future, a few weeks from now, I'll preach about how we show our praises to God in an ungodly world. How we live as light in a dark world. Because God has called us to show forth his praises among the heathen. And that's by our words. And that's by our works. That's by our testi uh, uh, testifying and our testimony. That's by our preaching and our practice. That's our, by our communication and our conduct. And I want to point these out later in the future. But let me just say this. You know what's a hindrance of living as a passing pilgrim here on earth, fulfilling what God has called us to do as a chosen people, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, as a peculiar people? You know what's the hindrance? Look at verse 10. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. That, look, at, look at this word that he uses here, that war against your what? That's interesting. That war against your soul? There's a war, there's a battle that rages for our soul? Yeah. Because the devil, knowing that you are God's purchased possession, doesn't want you to live out what you have in Christ. He wants you to hide your light under a bushel. But my Bible says that we are to shine for the glory of God. A city on a hill cannot be hid. And what I believe one of the oldest tricks of the devil is to make you think that, look at you. Look at you, you're a show-off. Look at you. You, you, you know, you're, you're trying to live this Christian life and in front of people. Who do you think? You're better than other people? No, I'm not better. I'm purchased. And I'm pur purchased from, for a reason. And my reason is to glorify God here on earth. And if my light shines and it threatens your life, then, you know, that's between you and God. But you ought to come and believe in the Lord and be what God has called you to be here on earth. God has called you. Not to live for yourself, but to live for his glory. And listen, my friends, there are things in this world that will tempt you to live for yourself, not fulfilling God's will here on earth as a believer. And may God help us to identify those things, and I want, that will be in part three, to identify them, and that would walk in the spirit that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh, because the spirit and the flesh are contrary against one another, and there's this battle between the two, and we have to know how to live in victory and let God lead us, and we have to know what it means to walk in the spirit, and be filled with the Spirit, that we may fulfill the calling of God in our life. Amen? Let's pray.